Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let me take you back to October 1985, four weeks before I graduated from high school. I really didn't have any dreams or intentions of coming to the U.S. I had a totally different plan after I graduated from high school. I thought I had my life planned between the time I was 18 until the time I was gonna die. (laughs) So again, it's about four weeks to graduation. My mom walks into my room and says, you know, here in the paper there is an ad from USAID. They are actually giving scholarships to study in the US for two years. Maybe you should check it out. And I thought, eh, okay, you know. So I went ahead and applied. I did all the process, and I was selected to come and study in the US. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. So talking about how your life can go from here to here. So it was a group of students, about 12 of us, that were gonna come to the US to study different things at different cities. And just before we came, we were taken to the American Embassy in San Salvador, and they were gonna bring a lady from the State Department and tell us what we needed to know about the US to make it. Now remember, this is the end of 1995, beginning of 1986. No internet, no cell phones, nothing. So okay, so we went to the American Embassy and there we were sitting down with our little notebook ready to learn what we needed to know. So here comes this very short, petite, blonde, blue-eyed lady from the State Department. And she said, you only need to know three things to make it in the US. Americans like to take showers, use shampoo, Soap and deodorant. (laughs) Check. You never give up your seat for a woman in a bus. You never open the door for them. You never send them flowers. Why? because in the US, women are treated like equals with men. And if you do those things for them, you are telling them they are less than men. Well, that's how I'd okay. Save me a ton of money, you know. (laughs) Check. And the third thing that I will never forget, when you go in an elevator, you do not talk. Talking in an elevator is considered uneducated and rude. So all you do, you go inside, you turn around, you look at the numbers. Hmm. (laughs) Up to today, I do not talk in an elevator. (laughs) Oscar, how you doing? How's your wife doing? 
What's for lunch? So anyway, it came the day that we were going to come to the U.S. Somehow, we made it. We said our goodbyes with our families. We ended up going first to Houston, then Chicago. And as we are about to land in Chicago, we look out the window and we saw snow for the first time. Now, please understand, we came in February of 1986, the hottest month in El Salvador. <laughs> so we landed in Chicago, and in those days, they didn't have what they call the warm, you know, that you go between the airplane and the terminal. You actually had to the plane on the tarmac. So there I am. <laughs> and then I had an epiphany. My yellow cardigan sweater is not going to be enough. <laughs> anyway, somehow, we made it to our destinations. I made it to the Mecca of Diversity in the U.S. Cedar Rapids, Iowa, 1986. <laughs> Yeah. Now, at the beginning, adapting was, was difficult. You know, the weather was different, food was different, language was different. Just way of doing things was, was different of what I was, what I was used to. But I was very happy. It was an exciting time. It was an adventure. I finished my scholarship. I went back. Eventually, I earned another scholarship to finish my BS degree. Ended up going to Florida a &M. uh, I met my first wife, and I ended up having two beautiful children uh, with her. My son, David, who is going to save the world by teaching music. <laughs> and uh, my daughter, Sarah, who's here in the audience. Uh, she's okay. I, I like her. But uh, um, <laughs> she's going to save the world by doing slam poetry. So anyway, yeah, yeah. One person, sir. One person. <laughs> So anyway, I um, finished my BS degree. Eventually, we moved to Michigan. I finished my master's degree. And then I decided to go back to, uh, to Cedar Rapids. Um, I had friends there. Uh, I worked for different companies. Uh, eventually, in the year 2000, I became a US citizen, which, believe me, is, is... Thank you, thank you. And it's one of this was one of the saddest days of my life, but also, but also one of the happiest. One of the saddest days of my life because for a moment you have to give up your former citizenship. You are basically saying, Oscar, you're not a Salvadoran anymore, you know. <clears throat> but I was extremely happy because I had become an American. So it was great. It, it, only if you have gone through that, you can under, you can understand what it is. But. But in any case, so I kept working. Um, also during the weekends, um, I would go to the public library in Cedar Rapids, looking for books, magazines, things to do. And one day, I found a book on a table. It was called Balloon Magic. It was a book about how to make basic balloon animals. And I looked at it, I, I read it, and I went, um, yeah, I can do this, you know. And, uh, I've been doing it for about 23 years. I have been all over, the, all over the place making balloons. I have been back in El Salvador and performing. Uh, it's, it's been great, you know. I ended up meeting, meeting my second wife and I moved to Des Moines. And uh, she's over there, she's, hi. 
She, um, she's responsible because I came to Des Moines. But I kept making balloons and working and just having a good time. And believe me, I love being a balloon artist and I love being a balloon artist during the weekends. I just wanted to share with you a couple of things. Um, the first story I want to share with you is something I, that happened uh, during the winter farmer's market a few years ago when they had it in downtown. I had a huge line of kids. And in that line, there was a, this big guy. Just imagine a football player, like, like big. And his wife, who was like very short, there were no kids with them. It was just them. And as, as they were getting closer, uh, something happened. And there is something I want to show you. Um, he told me, can I have that uh, snowman? And I said, oh, that one? It was a display that I had. Now, this is a small one. Just imagine one of these, but about my size. And I had it behind me. And I said, yeah, you can have it. I mean, no, more like. <laughs> because the, the guy was extremely big. I mean, I, I, mean, I wasn't going to say no. So. But his wife got really upset. She said, no, we don't have any space. Where are you going to put it? And they started arguing. And they got out of the line, and they kept arguing for a good 10 minutes. Well, I kept working, you know, and... Well, they left. However, a few minutes later, he came back, really, really happy. He looked at me, <laughs> and he told me, she said, yes. Can I have the snowman? And I said. So he took the, and again, remember, this is probably about, as I mentioned, about my size. So I thought that was the end of it. A few weeks later, at the next winter farmer's market, she came back. And I went, oh no. <laughs> and she looked at me. And she said, remember this snowman? Yes. I was so angry with him that I refused to take this snowman with me. I was driving my car, he was driving his motorcycle. <laughs> so he drove home with the snowman in one hand and driving a motorcycle with the other. So all I can see is the snowman going like, you know. I... <laughs> a few weeks ago, when I was doing another winter farmer's market, now in uh, Hy-Vee Hall, there was this little kid, maybe around seven or eight years old, who came to me and said, excuse me, sir, do they cost any money? And I said, yes, $2,000. And he had looked at me, he didn't get shocked or anything. He just said, I don't have $2,000, but can I give them to you when I get a job? <laughs> and I said, sure. You know, so I made him a Santa hat, and he went home very happy. So somewhere in the morning, there is an eight-year-old kid that in about 20 years is going to give me $2,000. So... <laughs> Which, you know, is great because if I can find a hundred of them, that's my retirement plan. But <laughs> About five or six years ago, uh, my wife Lisa and, and I uh, went to El Salvador. She went to, to visit where I, was, where I was from. We went and made balloons in a hospital in the northern part of El Salvador. 
It was and it is a very poor hospital. I mean, kids have nothing. And it was wonderful just to make balloons for them, give them candy, crayons, just little things. And just what a difference it made seeing those smiles. It's just a wonderful feeling. Those are the reasons why, some of the reasons why I love being a balloon artist, and especially during the holidays, because you get to meet a lot of interesting people. You make them happy, and also I get to be happy with them. But now, speaking of the holidays, I do love the holidays. Uh, I love Christmas. Uh, I love the food during Christmas, as you can tell. My uh, favorite food is turkey. Uh, in El Salvador for Christmas, we eat turkey, not ham, like most of the time, you know, you do here in the US. So over there we have turkey with a special sauce, it's just wonderful, here you have ham. If we cannot afford a turkey, well, you, we buy a hen. <laughs> here you have ham. <laughs> if you cannot afford a, a hen, then you buy a chicken. Here you have ham. <laughs> and if definitely you cannot afford a chicken, then you have tamales. <laughs> and here you have? Yeah. Of course. <laughs> As I mentioned, I do love turkey, and that's why, one of the reasons why I love Thanksgiving. But I always wondered, why do Americans like to eat dry turkey? Because remember, I was used to that sauce I was telling you about. So every year, and I kept it to myself, and I kept upset and saying, why do Americans like dry turkey? Finally, I said it out loud, and it was in Michigan when someone told me, Oscar, you know, um, there is something called cranberry sauce, and you take a little bit and you put it on your turkey, and it makes it really moist. And I remember I just looked at him. <laughs> Where have you been all my life? You know, the, <laughs> any case. Now, the holidays are not only about food. Uh, holidays are about family, about friends, about community. I uh, believe that uh, being able to be with your friends, with your family, with your community, gathering, is what the holidays should be about. Yes, there are things that I cannot do, like I used to in El Salvador, like uh, shooting off firecrackers or going outside and at midnight and say Merry Christmas to everybody on the streets or Happy New Year's. Uh, I cannot do that here, but, uh, but again, it doesn't matter. Again, what matters is being with your friend, your family, your community, being able to go to church or not go, depending on what you believe, being able to sing Noche de Paz, in Spanish, being able to sing Silent Night in English, or in German. Uh, Sarah, how do you say it in German? Yeah, whatever she said. So it doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter if you eat ham or turkey. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter how you do things. What matters is that you are together with who you love, and that's what makes the holiday special. Now, in conclusion, I just want to tell you thank you. And I want to take my hat off to you. Thank you for allowing this immigrant and welcome him. Coming from El Salvador to Iowa, thank you for 
allowing me to come, and many other immigrants that have come before and after me. I'm very proud of my Salvadoran roots, but I'm also very proud uh, to be an American citizen, an Iowan, and making the moon my home. Thank you. <laughs>